0: always preaching to yourself some kind of gospel. And it's either the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or it's some kind of anti-gospel that forgets who God is and forgets who you are and causes you to wonder and doubt and panic and whatever. Let me just begin with these two principles and then I want to take you to Psalm 42. Here's the first one. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You laugh, but I'm really quite serious. Most of us have learned it's best not to move our lips. Uh, And don't change places as you talk to yourself because people will think you're crazy. But you are in a constant conversation with yourself. Things that you say to you about you, about God, about life are profoundly important because they are setting the agenda for how you're gonna think and what you're gonna desire and what you're gonna say and what you're gonna do as you face the normal things that everybody faces as we live as still flawed people in this fallen broken world no one's in more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do second thing human beings Made in the image of God, do not live life according to the facts of their experience, but according to their interpretation of the facts. Human beings made in the image of God do not live life based on the facts of their experience, but based on their interpretation of the facts. You are always interpreting. Because you're made in the image of God, you have a desire for life to make sense. You are a meaning maker. Here I'm about to say, everyone in this room is a theologian. Everyone in this room is a philosopher. Everyone in this room is an archaeologist who will dig through the mound of his or her existence trying to make sense out of what is. That separates you from the rest of creation. It's a holy function of every human being. If you're a parent of a young child, that's why your child asks you that endless stream of mind-numbing why questions. And you think you've given the final answer and this child is able to generate another why because this child has this deep hunger to understand what's going on. And they're cobbling together this set of observations and this set of interpretations that is their functional worldview, that is their operational philosophy of life. What an important thing. Now that leads us to Psalm 42, if you would turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, get up and get one, this is church. Because I don't really have anything to say to you, but the Bible does. One of the problems with uh, psalms like Psalm 42 is we're also familiar with the psalm. And we, we get that sort of visual lethargy, you know, the first time you drive to work, you notice everything because your, your whole system is scintillated and you want to get there on time. You don't want to get lost. But by the 15th time, you don't notice anything. In fact, you don't know how you actually got to work. You don't remember making turns. You don't remember stopping. You wonder how many people died along the way. Uh, Well, we do that with the word of God. We begin, we fall into this spiritual mental monotone. And so as I read, just uh, force yourself to be interactive uh, mentally as I read. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizer. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Why they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now here's the first thing you need to notice about this psalm. the, things I like about, the thing I like about the Psalm is how Psalms are how shockingly honest they are, how typically they are of all of our experience. Um, I think the Psalms are in the Bible to keep us honest about the messiness of faith. And and you get this in this Psalm, we don't know exactly what the psalmist is going through. But he's going through, obviously, something he would have never planned for himself, something that for him would have been unpredicted, unforeseen, difficult to deal with. And if you are this side of being comatose, you also know that your life doesn't work according to your plan. That shouldn't be a shock to you. Last week didn't work according to your plan. Yesterday didn't work according to your plan from the look of some of you. This morning didn't work according to your plan. Uh, We're always dealing with the unpredicted, the unexpected. And in this situation, it's intense. Uh, It feels like God is distant. Somehow it feels like, notice my language, that God has moved. He doesn't seem as close as he once was. He doesn't seem as, as attentive as he once was. He doesn't seem as near as he once was. He actually doesn't seem like he's answering as he once did. And not only that, it, I'm going through some kind of oppression, some kind of difficulty that I'm not doing well with that doesn't look too good, and so the people around me are attacking my faith. They're saying, Hey, where's this God of yours? Like, where's His grace? <laughs> I thought He was a God of love. Yet, yeah, you trust your God, seems like it's working for you. And so you have the emotional thing, you have the situational thing, you have the spiritual thing all coming together in this moment of trial. Now, this probably won't comfort you much, but if you haven't been in one of those moments, you will be someday for two reasons. One, this is a fallen world. It's dramatically broken. It doesn't operate the way God has intended. And because you're a believer, you haven't been given a ticket out of the fallen world. God has chosen for you to live in a broken place, and you will be touched by its brokenness. We need to get a grip. Your faith doesn't call you to deny reality in order to have hope. And sometimes reality is pretty rough, pretty nasty. There are people who get crippled who will never walk again. There are people in the prime of their life who die. There's sickness that inflicts us, there's disloyalty, betrayal. There's shifts in the economy that changes masses of people's lives. God has chosen for us to remain in this broken world. That's His plan. Hear what I'm about to say. That's not in the way of God's plan. That is His plan. So you will face unexpected things too. There will be moments for you, for whatever reason, where God will not seem as near as He once was. where you will get to the border of your faith, sometimes even wondering, does God love me? Are His promises true? Maybe you're not in one of those moments right now, but maybe you're near someone who is. And when you're in those moments, you will... Preach something to yourself. You'll say things about God. You'll say things about life. You'll say things about your identity as a child of God. You'll counsel yourself. You'll preach to yourself. And in those moments when life is hard, when you're facing the unpredicted, when your faith is being questioned, when God doesn't seem like He's near, what you preach to you is profoundly important. Because there will be moments where no one will be able to read your heart. No one will be near you. It will only be you standing before God with that significant and important private conversation going on. And I want to ask you this morning as we begin, when you're up against it, when your boss has told you he doesn't need you anymore, when your neighbor is making your life hard, when a friend has been disloyal, when trial or difficulty comes your way, when physical sickness or death enters your door. What do you say to yourself? Be honest. What do you preach to you? What do you turn and say to your hurting, your seeking heart? In those moments when no other human being can read what's inside of you. What do you say to you? Do you preach the gospel to yourself? I just want to focus for a couple minutes on verses four and five. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Here's the first thing you see. It is very dangerous for you to give way to every feeling, to give way to every thought, to give way to every desire, to give way to every doubt. You must be willing to stand up when no one else can do it and give warning to yourself. And that's exactly what you see the psalmist when he and says, why are you downcast? What are you doing? Watch it! Take caution, be careful, don't go there. There are critical points if you're gonna live the life that grace makes possible for you to live where you must say no to you you don't have to go where that anger is leading you you don't have to go where that doubt is leading you you don't have to go where that fear is leading you you don't have to go there and often the decisions we make in moments of anger, the decisions we make in moments of fear, the decisions we make in moments of doubt are surely the decisions that we look back on with regret. Because they're often the moments in the cloud of fear, in the cloud of doubt, in the cloud of anger, where we lose sight of who we are, we lose sight of who God is, and we make decisions that... Are less than wise. In critical moments, do you rise and say no to you? Well, after you've given that caution, then the next thing is, what do you say to you? Well, here's what the psalmist says hope in God now let's just think about what hope is here's what hope is hope is always a expectation and an object Uh, hope is a desire for something and uh, putting trust in someone or something to deliver it hope is a desire placed in something to deliver that's what hope is and so what the psalmist is saying here is really quite radical Uh, it's hard for me to wrap words around how radical this is what he's actually saying is hope is not a circumstance hope is not a location hope is not an experience hope is not a human relationship, hope. It's not all of those things that we tend to put our hope in because all of those things are temporary. All those things are fleeting. All those things are fallen. None of those things are under our control. Here's what he's saying. Hope is a person and his name is Yahweh. You don't find lasting, sturdy hope by looking horizontally, but we do. Listen. If you if you would say this, if only I had, then my life would be whatever sits on the other side of your earth. Only is the place where you're putting your hope. Did you hear what I said? Whatever sits on the other side of your if only is where you're placing your hope. If only I had that job. If only I was married, if only I could go to seminary, if only I could fill in the blank, And when you're doing that, you're doing something that is spiritually disastrous. You're asking fallen creation to be your own personal Messiah. You're asking fallen creation to give you meaning and purpose. You're asking fallen creation to give you life. You're asking fallen creation to give you strength. You're asking fallen creation to give you an inner sense of well-being. And it will never, ever happen. Because if creation could give you life, the son of the creator, creator himself, would not have had to come. It wouldn't have been necessary because we'd have life. And when Jesus rises and says, I have come to give you life, you know what he's saying? Nothing else can. That's what he's saying. Nothing else can. I'm coming to give you life because I alone bring life in my hands. You'll never find life anywhere else. You marry women, the best man ever, he can't give you life because you haven't married the fourth member of the Trinity. There's only three seats, and they're well taken. You have the best job ever that gives you the the biggest amount of money that you could ever imagine have. It can't give you life. You're in the best health ever. It can't give you life. You're looking forward to the most glorious retirement ever. It can't give you life. You're able to afford the best cuisine ever. It can't give you life. You have the most success and accomplishments ever. It can't give you life. Life is only found one place. And so here's what this means. If you have realized that hope is only ever found vertically, hope is never found horizontally, nothing that can happen to you is able to take away your hope. Because your hope is not up for grabs. You can take my reputation. You can take my health. You can take my family. You can take my job. You can't take my hope. It's in Him and Him alone. Now there's security. never forget standing alongside the bed of Luella's dad, dying of cancer, no complaints, no where's God, no regret of his life. He asked if he could pray. And it would have made sense to me that he would have just prayed for God's help. God, help me through this. He didn't actually do that. He prayed around the room for everybody that was standing there. He prayed for us. I'm standing thinking, he's praying for us. This man is sitting there with such a remarkable trust in God, a remarkable hope in God, that he's actually able in his own cancer bed to be concerned for the people that are around him. There were moments in my life where I didn't have the respect for that man that I should. That moment, I got it. I thought, God, I want to be like this man. I'm going to stand in the darkest moments of life and have hope because my hope is not on all that stuff. You see, if you've placed your hope in your job and you lose your job, where do you go? You get eaten with envy at all the people who haven't. You question the goodness of God. You can't celebrate the blessing of another person. It's a mess. It's a mess. Hope is a person. His name is Jehovah. And that one is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to turn with me to Romans 4. Because there's this this remarkable vignette that's in the life of Abraham. Now you know the story. Abraham's uh, given God's covenant and he's told that his descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky like the sand on the seashore. Now that The fulfillment of that promise, you will understand, demands that he have a male heir. He's got to have a son. And Sarah is way, way beyond childbirth in years. Abraham, too, is an old man. That's the scene. Now, verse 18. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so she your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. I love that. I sometimes feel like that in the morning. Since he was about 100 years old, I'm not. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but not listen to this. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now there's a couple things I think are important here. You, you want to allow yourself to be hit by what it says about Abraham as Abraham is going through this difficult trial where God has made a promise where it doesn't seem like he's delivering it doesn't seem like there's any rational hope of God delivering that just from human accounting as Abraham is going through that it says this amazing thing it says he actually grew stronger in faith where you're in a difficult situation and it doesn't appear like God is being active, maybe you're like me. For me, that often is a chronicle of weakening faith. The more I have to wait, the weaker my faith gets. But that's not what it says about Abraham. It says, Abraham, in that moment, nothing had changed. He actually grew stronger in faith. Now, second thing is, he didn't grow stronger in faith because he denied reality biblical faith never requires that you turn your back on what is real and true if you have to deny reality to have hope you don't have biblical faith you're playing disastrous theological games with yourself And so, you know, when you're counseling one another, don't put your hand on the back of that person who's going through hell and say, it'll be okay. It may not be okay. That hell may continue for another 10 years. That's not helpful. That's denying reality that doesn't spiritually help that person. Abraham considered the deadness of Sarah's womb, he considered his age, he was able to look hard realities in the face and still grow in faith. That's biblical faith. And it tells you why. Because he didn't make the mistake that we often make. Abraham didn't actually spend his time meditating on his difficulty. He spent his time meditating on what? The glory of God. This one is faithful. This one is able. I have every reason to have hope because this one is faithful and able. Now I think what we do when we're in difficulty is we actually meditate on the difficulty we pull it apart in infinite little details. We make lists. We beat ourselves up as we're going to bed at night or waking up in the morning with an endless catalog of what ifs that we can't answer. We actually wish that we had a view into the secret will of God, If God would only reveal what he's doing while he won't. His secret will is called his secret will because it's secret. And as we do that, we make this mistake. We think that hope is the result of understanding. Hope is not the result of understanding. Hope is the result of a relationship with a person who understands. Because there are things in life that you will never understand. Because God has chosen not to reveal the the purpose and plan and reason of those things for you. Your rest is not in your understanding. Your rest is in the God, who's the ultimate definition of everything that's wise and everything that's true and everything that's good and everything that's faithful, who rules over every situation for his glory and your good. You rest in a person, even when you don't understand. Abraham didn't have a clue what was going on. You know that from scripture. When, remember when Isaac was finally born and then God says, you got to go sacrifice him? What's up with that? And the Bible says that Abraham thought that perhaps he would kill Isaac and then God would raise him from the dead. You know what that tells you? Abraham didn't have a clue what was going on because that, that wasn't actually the plan. So Abraham didn't reach this place of growing faith and increased hope because he understood what was going on. He didn't understand what was going on. But because he gave himself to meditating on the stunning glory of God. Do you do that? When you're in difficulty, what commands your meditation? When you're up against it, what captures your mind? When you're facing the unexpected, what grips your heart? Hope in God. Hope is a person. And if you're God's child, hear what I'm about to say that person, in the full range of his glory, has invaded your life by his grace. It's impossible for you to be in any situation, any relationship, any location by yourself. Because he's with you. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. But then the psalmist says another thing. If you want to turn back there, it's very sweet and very humbling. It says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. What does he say next? Next two words? Anybody? You can talk, it's legal. Some translations say my savior, some say my salvation. Why would he say that? Why in this moment of circumstantial difficulty, Would the psalmist say, my salvation? Now, I hope this doesn't shock you too much, but often when I'm in a moment of difficulty, I couldn't care less about redemption. Don't sing to me, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Just get me out of difficulty. I don't care. I don't care about that. Just put me in ease of circumstances. Put me around people who love me. Feed me well. And this is really uh, a humble, uh, a rather stunning admission. It's like in Psalm 27 where it talks about an army encamping against you, and then the psalmist says, "One thing I desire to be in the temple and dwell and, and behold the beauty of the Lord." I'm thinking, if I got an army coming down on me, I'm not sure I would say, "This is the one thing I want. I want to do. I want to go to church." But that's what he says. And what what this is is this is a very powerful admission that. Below the level of the darkest of circumstances, I actually have a deeper dilemma in my life. I have a deeper danger in my life. I have a deeper disaster in my life. Yes, it would be nice to be delivered from this particular circumstance, but there's a deliverance that I need that's much more profound than this one. It's deliverance from me. Because inside of me is something I cannot escape. Inside of me is something for which I desperately need salvation. It is my sin. And I can run from circumstances. I can run from locations. I can run from relationships. But I'm never successful in running from me. When I run from me, I always show up with me at the end of the run. What's up with that? And here is the right value system. You see, God hasn't promised you ease of circumstances, but he's promised you salvation. You don't actually judge the goodness of God by the ease of your circumstances if you understand Scripture. You don't bring God into the court of your judgment and say, because my circumstances have not been easy, because my life has been hard, that means you're unfaithful to your promises because frankly, what you think He's promised, He hasn't promised you. But he's promised you salvation. The deepest, most penetrating, universal human need. He has promised, I will meet you there and I will do for you what you could not do for yourself. I will rescue you. And I won't leave that work until you're finally delivered from sin. Until every corpuscle of sin is delivered from every cell of every heart of every one of my children I will not relent I am the redeemer I have hope not because I'm daily delivered from circumstances I have hope because the deliverance that every human being desperately needs, whether they know it or not, has been given me by grace. I could have never earned it. I could have never achieved it. I could have never deserved it. It's grace and grace and grace alone. And I recognize this morning my confession that I'm not yet a grace graduate, that I can be incredibly full of myself there's never a day when I'm not tempted. That I often confuse my kingdom with God's kingdom. That I can be a bit of a mess. And if I followed him for 10,000 years, I would need that rescue as much the next day as I did the first day I believed. I am rescued. I am rescued. I am rescued. And when you get there, you do want to sing. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There's hope. There's hope. You see, it's only the cross of Jesus Christ that can give you a proper value system. because the cross of Jesus Christ defines what's broken and how it gets fixed. But there's more to this. I want you to turn, if you would, to Romans 8 because Paul makes this connection that is so beautiful and so encouraged, encouraging. He is talking in Romans 8 about the fallenness of the world, that this whole world groans waiting for redemption. He's talking about the help of the Spirit, and that moves him to talk about. Uh, the the steps of God's saving plan and then he says this verse 31 what shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us now listen to what he says next listen to the logic he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him what graciously give us all things now here's what he's saying he's saying would it make any sense for God to provide for you ultimate salvation and abandon you along the way that would make any sense that would make no sense whatsoever he said if He paid this ultimate sacrifice for your ultimate salvation. Isn't that itself a guarantee that in the midst of the difficulty, this God will give you what you need? Now hear this, not what you want, but He will give you what you need because that salvation began in this event Will end as an event, but as a process in between. And it would make no sense for him to initiate that process in his justifying grace with that miracle of the cross and then abandon you in your moment of need. Would make no sense. And so, if he did this, doesn't that predict? doesn't it guarantee that in your moment of trial, in your difficulty, remember he's just talked about this world that's a mess, that's groaning for redemption, moments where we're so distressed we can't even pray with words. The Holy Spirit carries our prayers. He's talking about difficulty and disaster and trial. He says he will not abandon you in your trial. He will give you what you need. not the pleasure you're looking for, not not the comfort you seek, not the esteem you've hooked yourself to, but what your struggling, fearful, hurt, and doubting heart needs. And guess what that is? Grace. Grace that meets you in your time of need my mom as a young believer I'm sure I've told the story here but act like you haven't heard it young believer went to her pastor because she saw all these saints dying with such grace and she said to her pastor pastor I don't think I have dying grace I just don't think I have dying grace and he said the sweetest, most pastoral thing to her. He said, Faye, that's because you're alive. (laughs) He said, "You you don't need dying grace right now. But when you're there, your Lord will be faithful to you. That last week as we stood around mom's bed and she was in and out of consciousness we sang to her uh, she had memorized the hymnal so much she could she could say to us when we were young we never knew the numbers uh, sing 452 <laughs> so I would say 452 Uh and uh, we sang so many songs of faith that we had exhausted our catalog. catalog. I finally reached down and whispered in my mom's ear, mom, we're we're out of hymns, we're out of songs, we're just going to sing to you the Beatles. But I can remember one moment where it seemed like mom was just not there. And one of the hymns she loved was, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I can remember my mom in the kitchen humming, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I thought, does mom hear what we're singing? Is she gone? And I look down, and her lips are mouthing the words. And I, th- I thought, dying grace, this lady in her pain is singing her way into the arms of Jesus. You know, tomorrow in some circumstance, small or large, you will preach to yourself a gospel of some kind of hope. It will either be horizontal hope that asks the creation to deliver what it cannot deliver, or it will be hope that rests firmly in God. This God who rules it all This God who delivers you from your deepest difficulty and because of that will not abandon you along the way. No, you won't understand. And you'll face things that you you would have never chosen for yourself, but you will never face them alone because hope has invaded your life by His grace. Hope is here. Hope is here, hope is here, hope is here because hope has made the eternal choice of making you the place where he dwells. There's hope. Let's pray. Lord, there's a way in which this thing called hope is a war in our hearts. We do look for hope where it cannot be found and panic. We do preach to ourselves a gospel that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do ask endless. What ifs, hoping that understanding will bring peace to our hearts. Lord, help us to remember that we have hope, not because of what we've done, not because of what we've accomplished, not because of who we know, not because our circumstances or our locations, but because the one who is hope has invaded our lives by His grace. And if He rescues us from our deepest difficulties, He will not abandon us in our moment of need. There's hope. May we tomorrow grab onto that hope with both hands and not let go and live with courage in situations that would otherwise make us afraid. In Jesus' name.